We're going to conclude our series on Ephesians tonight. I know some of you will be glad to be out of Ephesians. And, uh, but in that study on Ephesians, we've had as the conclusion of the study a series on the armor of God. And so tonight, uh, for one final time, I'll read to you uh, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, and this time we'll read all the way through verse 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, let me... <clears throat> This, I had a series of sermons pre-prepared on this, and when I looked at it uh, in the beginning of the armor of God, I just wanted to redo it. And so we've redone it, and it's been reworked, and not anything at all like it was in the beginning, like I intended it for it to be. I hope it has been in the way the Lord has intended it to be. But the emphasis is this. In order to live strong, to be strong in the Lord, we must fight strong. In order to fight strong, we must dress strong. Not only must we dress strong, but we must be faith strong and word strong. And tonight we learn that we must pray strong. And you'll notice that first Paul says that we need to pray at all times. He said pray at all times in the spirit. Now this is the first word for prayer. There are a couple of words in this passage that mean something different. But I want to draw attention to that first one, pray. It just means exactly what it says. Pray. It's a, it's to speak to a deity. It's to call on God. It's to 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 communicate. It's communicating prayer. That's all it means, just the act of prayer. But that second word, petition is a word that means indigence or need. And it carries with it an urgency, a dependency, a poverty uh, of being without that demands assistance from above. And that's the way Paul looks at our battle. He said, we struggle. We struggle not against flesh and blood, 
but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And for that reason, we need to call on God for assistance in our battle. We need reinforcements. Now, here's the second thing. Failure to recognize my need will result in failure. There is no victory in this battle against the enemy of our souls but by prayer. Now, we've been using David. I've used him several different times through the course of this series as an example of a man uh, without physical armor but clothed in the armor of God. But tonight, I want to take a little different turn and use a different illustration out of the New Testament, an illustration that that is an illustration, unfortunately, of failure in the life of our Lord's own disciple. And from this illustration of failure, we, we discover our own need for prayer. We're illustrating then, now we've moved from looking at this passage of Scripture, which we're going to continue to look at, but we've moved from simply looking at it to turn to look at another passage of Scripture to illustrate what Paul is, is talking about. You remember the story. It comes from... Uh, the Gospel of Mark, Jesus uh, came to his disciples and found them disputing with another group of people. And uh, they were talking with him. There was some kind of uproar going on. And he said, what's, what's going on here? And someone in the crowd said, uh, your, your disciples uh, were asked by this uh, particular man to, to cast out a demon. My, my son, this man says, he has a demon. And it seizes him, and it throws him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth. And uh, I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they couldn't. And uh, so Jesus said, he called them an unbelieving generation, and he said, bring the boy to me. And he asked the father, you know, how long has it been happening to him? And uh, you, you, you remember the story of how Jesus ultimately cast out the demon. But then in verses 28 and 29 uh, of, of chapter uh, Mark chapter 9, I know it says 14 through 29, but that's the whole story. But 28 and 29, when he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out but by prayer and fasting. Now there's our illustration. It's an illustration of failure in the life of of the disciples. And so one of the things we see clearly is that they recognize their failure. That's the third point. They recognize their failure. They said, shouldn't we have been able to cast out this demon? They expected to be able. They tried. They went into battle, but they failed. And it, seemed here, it seems here that their failure surprised them. Hadn't Jesus given them the power to do this? They'd done it before. In other cases, on one other occasion, they came to Jesus and said, Lord, these disciples did. They said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. He replied, yes, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You remember that story. Jesus said, you've got this power, use it, but remember, don't just rejoice in that, rejoice that your name is written in heaven. But here they failed, it was an embarrassing failure, so they had this question among themselves, 
Shouldn't we have been able to do this? But they recognized they were not able. They couldn't do it. They had no power against the demon that was in this boy. And their failure recognized sort of a stir in the community. They were disputing with the crowd. The disciples of Jesus here couldn't cast a demon about this boy when they were not able. What kind of questions do you think that raised in the minds of people who were watching? Here, Jesus' disciples. Here's a demon in this boy. Something wrong with him. And they couldn't do anything about it. It raised doubts. It raised doubts about their message. It raised doubts about Jesus himself. If they can't, can he? That was the question in the Father's heart. He wasn't sure Jesus could do anything in light of the disciples' failure. He said, if you can do anything, Lord, you help us. But when it was all said and done, the disciples came to him and said, why couldn't we drive it out? Why did we fail? What happened here that we have been able to do this in other situations, but not here? I think that's a significant question that the church needs to ask today. And for the first time that I ever read this passage of Scripture, I had to ask it to myself. Why is it that in other situations and in other times, I have been successful or the church has been successful and we are not successful here? That's a pretty good question that we need to ask. The disciples ask it. Why? couldn't we and we need to ask why can't we is it weakness is it sin or is it something else these were probably the things that were on their minds and it's our Lord's answer to the question that we want to pay special attention tonight along with what Paul said to these Ephesians about how they were to enter into spiritual battle he said to them this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer and fasting. Now, you may not recognize it, but that's exactly what Paul was saying in Ephesians 6. You're not wrestling with flesh and blood. You're wrestling with rulers, with powers, with the world forces of this darkness, with the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We have said already that there are hierarchies of evil, and Jesus was saying this is an entirely different level of evil that you, than you have been dealing with in the past. So their failure began, number four, with their failure to recognize the distinct nature of the need. They cast out devils in other places. They dealt with demons. But these demons are of varying ranks and stations, and that's why Paul lists these things against we struggle. So for these disciples, this was a different level or different hierarchy of evil. Now that might surprise you, but in the New Testament we see that a person can be afflicted or oppressed by demons. Just, just the fact that the devil is bothering somebody. He's bothering someone. He's afflicting someone. He's oppressing someone, perhaps causing someone to stumble, causing someone to be discouraged, causing someone to be depressed. A person can be oppressed by the devil. And then we see also in the New Testament a person can be possessed by a demon, one demon. And Jesus said there are occasions, he told the story, he said there are occasions where uh, someone will come along and cast out that one demon and that demon will be gone and then one day he'll come back to that person 
and find that their life is empty, having never been filled by God, and he will go and invite seven other demons, all more wicked than himself, and they will make their home in that man, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. One demon, that's one level. And then seven demons, that's an entirely different level of evil that you're dealing with. And of course, Jesus dealt with a man called Legion who had thousands of demons living in him. So Jesus was clearly able to recognize the hierarchy of evil that had an influence over a person's life. But these disciples didn't. They didn't take into consideration that this kind was something different that they had experienced in the past. And so perhaps that's something that we ought to think about as we look at the culture that we live in, the season that we're living in, the circumstances that the church finds itself in today, that perhaps we're dealing with a different level or hierarchy of evil than we've dealt with in the past, that it's not only that we are not the people that we should be and we are not the people that we should be, but the battle that we're facing is a different battle than we've ever faced before. So in the face of that extraordinary evil, they needed an extraordinary power. They needed help. They were strong spiritual men, but in this case, they were no match for the enemy. They failed to see that or to sense that until they failed miserably. Now, they failed to realize their, their need for a greater power, because they did not feel their indigence. They didn't feel their need. They didn't feel their poverty, their dependency that required assistance from above. And Jesus said, this is a different kind here. And this kind comes out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Jesus said, you need to know what you're dealing with. This is no ordinary problem. This is an extraordinary problem. This, this is an extraordinary power. This is an extraordinary evil. To deal with extraordinary evil, you need extraordinary power. And this is certainly what Paul is telling us in Ephesians, that you need to put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, you need the breastplate of righteousness, yes. You need the belt of truth, yes. You need to put on the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace? Yes. You need the helmet of salvation? Yes. You need the, the, the shield of faith? Yes. You need the sword of the Spirit? Yes. But you also need to pray. You need to pray in an extraordinary way, realizing your dependency, your need, your helplessness. We're battling something extraordinarily evil, and to battle that, we need an extraordinary power. And the final point here of the message well, there's not the final point, there's, but the next one, there's one more beyond this. And, that, and, and Paul is saying is prayer is the means by which we reach for that power. And that's what Jesus was telling these disciples. Paul says, with all prayer and petition at all times, pray all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now obviously the disciples didn't have that power. Not enough power. They didn't recognize the evil that confronting them, failing to recognize the need and their poverty in the face of it. They, they failed to reach for that power. Prayer is reaching for that power, 
Prayer is accessing the help of heaven in our need against the enemy of our soul. And Paul said in Ephesians 6, not only do you need to engage in prayer for yourselves as you engage against the enemy of your souls, you need to pray for one another. Your brothers and sisters in the church are engaged in this battle. They may not sense it. They may not know it. They may not know that in their house they're dealing with an evil of a different kind. They may not be ready for the evil day that the devil has planned for them or for their family or for their church. For that reason, you need to pray. You need to pray with a sense of indigency, of poverty, of great need. And Paul said, and pray for me. I'm preaching. I'm engaged in this battle. Pray for me that I might preach as I ought and what I ought. Pray for me that utterance may be given me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Are you engaged in praying for your pastor with a sense of urgency, poverty, or dependency? Failure to pray is failure. We will fail. The preaching will fail. We'll come away from the battle embarrassed, not able to do that which needed to be done. But that was not their only failure. Their failure to pray. They failed to reach for that power in desperation, letting go of everything else to accomplish that task. And so here is the last thing, the last point. And this is from Andrew Murray, by the way. This is one of the best definitions of fasting that I've ever found. Andrew Murray says, prayer is the hand that reaches for the hand of Christ. Oh, Lord, I'm reaching for you. But Lord, while I'm reaching for you, I'm holding on to my banana pudding. I'm holding on to my cell phone. I'm holding on to a lot of other things. But by the way, one of my distastes about people talking about fasting is when they say, well, I'm fasting from coffee. Or I'm fasting from simply sweets. Or I'm fasting from my cell phone. I'm having a technical fast. That's not what the Bible talks about. Here, let me show you. There are breakthroughs in spiritual growth and missionary advance that will never come unless we sacrifice our physical appetites to cry out to God from the deep need of our souls. Fasting is not giving up lunch. Not, that's not fasting. Fasting in the Bible is giving up food for a day or for days in order to do nothing but reach for God. And it focuses your attention. Why You say, why, why do I need to fast? Because if you're not eating, when you're not eating and you realize you're not eating and why you're not eating, you realize I'm not eating because I need to pray. And it focuses your, focuses your attention on God. Paul tells us then we're in a battle. We're in a battle against various kinds of evil and in order to battle against the enemy, we need to reach for God. We need extraordinary prayer. And extraordinary prayer reaches for God while at the same time letting go of anything else that I might want or need because of that desperate need for God. And so Paul said, pray. Pray at all times. Pray in the Spirit. And while you're praying, pray for me. So the question tonight is, in your own personal life, and in the need in your home, in the, in, in the circumstance, in the need in your church, how desperate are you for God? How 
needy do you feel? Do you sense that you're facing a different kind of evil? And if so, you need an extraordinary power. And am I so desperate for God that out of my need, out of my indigency, out of my poverty, am I willing to sacrifice food or whatever else hinders me from reaching for God in order to express my deeper need for God? Jesus said, this kind comes out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Are you willing to do that? Let's pray.